Hello and welcome to episode three of Conversations with the Mind. I'm your host, Shane LeMaster. Um, today we have a very special guest joining us, um, whom I'll introduce here in a minute. Um, but just wanted to let everyone know, uh, you know, we're very appreciative and thank you very much for, for listening to our first two episodes. Um, it's gotten a good response so far. And just so everybody knows, um, you know, how our message kind of reaches more people comes from all of you guys liking and sharing our podcasts as we post them up on social media. So please do that. Please like and share our podcast with your friends and family if you find that they're interesting. Um, so I wanted to uh, just remind everybody that we are sponsored by mindops.com. Uh, that's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com. That's my private consulting and counseling um, private practice. Um, and we serve a, nu- a number of different uh, populations, uh, specialties in addictions counseling, sport and performance psychology, um, general psychotherapy, um, and uh, psychedelic integration therapies. So uh, if you guys are in need of any sort of mental health services or mental performance services, please feel free to reach out to us on the website. Again, that's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S or mindops.com. So um, for our good news section, uh, before we get to our guest, um, as always, we come to you and bring some good news from the world at large. Um, In our good news section today, um, the title of this article that I found um, is Husky Saves Hiker After 700-Foot Fall in Alaska, but the owner says he's saved people before. I found this pretty amazing. Um, I am a dog owner myself, have been my entire life, and um, it amazes me at the compassion that, that these animals can share and just their sheer will to to commingle and even protect um, the human species um, you know, with no expectation. Um, and it just amazes me. So um, I came across this story, and apparently there was a deaf hiker hiking in Alaska. She fell off a 700-foot um, embankment or mountainside. Um, this dog found her. Um, she probably would have died without him, but um, he uh, he went for help, swam across a, a huge river, um, and went and got help for her, and she survived. The owner of the dog says that um, the dog also found has found uh, a baby um, along that riverside as well and saved this baby's life in the past. Um, so this dog is a real hero. Um, it's kind of cool to to shine some light on some of that, that good, hopeful news that we don't always get to see in the, in the mass media. So that's our little contribution to uh, positivity in your life today. Um, so today our guest is uh, my good friend, Scott. Uh, we've been friends for a number of years. We, uh, we kind of met through um, psychedelic journeying circles. Um, I believe we've, you know, we've done um, peyote circles before together and ayahuasca circles together. Have we done those together? <clears throat> yeah, we did yeah. peyote last spring. Yep. So um, Scott is a fellow psychonaut like myself, a journeyer into his own consciousness and a journeyer um, amidst the larger consciousness. Um, and he and I really just hit it off right away because we both have this inborn drive to um, discover and explore uh, the depths and the infinity, which is our mind and our consciousness and what it means to be human and what it means to be more than human. Um, so we really hit it off. Um, I'm not going to um, go too much into Scott's background, but he does have a PhD in chemistry. Um, I'm not going to disclose where from or, or anything like that. I don't want to um, give up his his identity. Um, the reason for that being is because um, today's a very special podcast where um, Scott and I, uh, so as part of my private practice, I do psychedelic integration work and I also do, uh, I sit for people as they go through journey work just to provide space, to hold space, to to ensure safety. Um, and today Scott was um, uh, gracious enough to come over and, uh, you know, at an, we were at an undisclosed location and um, do a DMT, um, an NN DMT journey in front of me while, while he allowed me to sit for him. Um, so I'm very honored. Thank you. Um, and we thought it would be a very interesting podcast to have him come on and talk about his journey immediately after coming out of the state. 
Um, I think uh, Scott, you know, sat up from his journey about 10 minutes ago, so he's just gotten his bearings. Um, but this is definitely part of Conversations with the Mind, and we're going to have a conversation today with Scott's mind, um, having returned from um, this state of disembodiment. Um, and we're going to dig into what his intentions were going into it and what he what he came back from, what sort of elixir he brought back with him to share with, with the greater good. Um, so this is a very special treat for us today. Um, it's been rarely done that, that you have an immediate uh, trip report um, in this format right after an experience. So uh, we're going to have conversations with the mind via altered states of consciousness today. So welcome, Scott. Thank, Thank you for you. being here. <clears throat> Thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, why don't we, um, why don't we get right into it? Why don't you, uh, share with the audience sort of what brought you to this medicine today and, um, what your journey has been with it so far and what your intention was this time? Um, well, I mean, uh, DMT has always interested me because, well, we produce it ourselves. Uh, we have it in our own brain and chemically it's almost the same molecule as psilocybin from mushrooms. And those have had a profound effect on my life in a, a positive way. I, I decided to go to graduate school while on mushrooms, mountain biking on mushrooms. That's um, one of those big insight moments. Yeah, it was like an allegory for my life. I was mountain biking up a mountain and it was like, I'm working hard. I'm working hard. What am I working towards? I don't know. It feels good. But if, once I get there, I can ride and kind of kind of go anywhere. I don't have options. And um, so that, that was kind of um, – mushrooms have always been a good big helper to me and um, – I've tried DMT on several occasions and um, it um, has eluded me. Um, the depth of it has, has eluded me somewhat. Um, and so I uh, recently uh, was able to procure some and thought, you know, who would I want to do this with? Who would, would I feel comfortable doing with this? And you and I um, have a background in this. So I, I thought you would be a good resource, especially after you had talked to me about doing this podcast. So I figured <clears throat> now's a good time. Now, now is a good time for me to try it. Um, I've been thinking a lot about how we could streamline the process a little bit more. Um, we tried it a way today um, that I had never done. And um, so one of the problems that I've had with uh, DMT in the past is when you try to smoke it, it burns. Uh, you try to heat it up in a pipe and it, it burns and it becomes harsh and you end up wasting material. So I um, we tried a little bit different today by adding a little bit of salt and, and a little bit of water, probably a little bit too much water this time. Um, so that we could, the salt was for high surface area and the water was to kind of buffer the temperature so that it could vaporize at a, at a lower, at a temperature that, um, didn't decompose the molecule, didn't burn. And I think that worked pretty well. Um, it wasn't harsh. Um, like I said, there was too much water. So the first few poles was just water vapor evaporating sure. off the water. And then after it kind of started to dry out again, I got a, a few good poles that definitely worked and definitely took me into the, into the space. Good. So um, tell the audience a little bit about um, what setting intentions for journeying mm -hmm. means to you yeah. um, and specifically what your intention was for this journey today. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I mean, I didn't really start setting intentions for my trips until about two years ago. And um, that really changed the game for me. I mean, I used to kind of just go in this kind of jello-ish state, um, you know, I'd, I'd get insights, but it was, there was a lot of noise associated with it. You know, reality was turned up. I let more in, but it was kind of just like, there was a lot of white noise and a lot of, um, kind of incorrect conclusions that I made, um, out in that state and, um, definitely had, um, some kind of, you know, shadow experiences at points that, um, really shook me and eventually integrated and, and have improved my life. But in, in some sense, the, intention is, is like the compass of, of mm -hmm. the experience of, of where am I going with this? Why did I come into this in the first place? It's not necessarily the map. To me, the experience and the body is the map. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it is almost the compass of, 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 you know, getting my bearings. Why did I do this? And um, as I spoke to you earlier, my intention for today was specifically to overcome fear of death mm -hmm. as, as the fundamental fear of existence. Mm -hmm. um, and in relation to, um, you know, any sort of other attachment or any sort of uh, attachment to expectations uh, because I believe that connection is one of the fundamentally, fundamentally most important things we can do as humans. And, and that's not something that I'm trying to get rid of. You know, I'm not trying to become a, um, a 
a shaman in in the mountains or anything like that. I'm not trying to go off and and be you know isolated and just ascend by myself. I I, I believe that cultivating connections, um, however they may be in in life, I think that's one of the most important things. But sometimes I, in particular, and I think humans at large will um, develop certain um, expectations or certain um, elements of, of hope that they associate with different things in their life, where their life might be going, where their life, where relationships might be going. And we get attached to these things. And, and in a lot of ways that prevents us from living in them and truly living them out sure. to the depth that they could be. And so in my life right now, I'm going through so much. Um, yeah, a lot of big transitions. Transformations. Yeah, yeah. My, my roommates moved out yesterday, so my house is mostly empty. And I'm moving in um, pretty soon. So it's like I got to really um, – you know, get my get my bearings on that and, and go back to my, my grounded state and be prepared for the the changes and, and embrace them, mm-hmm. not only just kind of roll with them, but actually ride them, you know, sure. and, 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 t- and let them propel me in a way that um, I sometimes think I've prevented myself in the past. Sure. Well, and from an outsider's perspective, you know, looking into your life right now, you have a lot of big transitions. You just closed a huge chapter of, of your life and congratulations again for Thank your you. PhD. He literally conferred like uh, just a little while ago. Um, but um, that's a huge chapter closed. So, um, you know, in our, in our previous conversations recently, anyway, there's this underlying theme that I'm getting from you of like, what's next? Um, this, this whole world is open to me and I want to go explore it, but I don't know what to settle on yet. I don't know what yeah. to, um, attached to, which is good. You know, you're, you're leaving yourself open right. to that. Um, and so Scott's went out and, and bought himself a bus, yeah. um, that he's retrofitting that he's going to, um, travel the country and, and, um, see where he lands. And, you know, recently a new job offer came up, so that's pretty cool too. So, yeah. um, big transitions going on. And what I've noticed, uh, from a counselor's perspective is that when people go through these big, um, transitions in life, it's very common that we start to question mortality. Mm-hmm. Like, um, not only, you know, where we go, where we die, when we die, what happens to us, but, um, you know, where am I in my life journey right now? And should I have achieved more? Should I, you know, should I be further ahead? Um, so I feel like we, we start to question these, these issues of like, I'm running out of time. Like I got to make a decision. Yeah. I got to settle yeah. down. I got to, you know, do these things. Um, yeah, and, and I love how these um, psychedelic medicines sort of open us up a little bit um, yeah. to to not being so caught up in, you know, what society tells us we should do, you know, settle down, have a white picket fence, two and a half right. kids, you know, all these things. And it allows us to break those constructs and, right. and really explore and find where our heart wants us to land rather than where our mind wants us to land necessarily, right? Because right? yeah. our mind is conditioned yeah. uh, a lot of, in a lot of ways by society, but our heart is more intuitive. Right, and my mind at least never wants to decide. Yeah. It wants to analyze, it wants to project, it wants to extrapolate where every possible situation might go to the point where I find myself overwhelmed with the possibilities yeah. Yeah, and overthinking. And it's like, you know, to the point where I can't make a decision. Sure. You know, you're at the grocery store trying to pick mm-hmm. what brand of cereal you want, and you have so many choices, and, and you just stand there for 20 minutes before you just yeah. randomly pick one. You know, and and to me, it's like it's not about randomly picking one; it's about picking the the, the right one, the right one. Yeah. yeah, and that's that goes back to like fear of failure, right? So you're right. you're afraid that you're gonna pick the wrong cereal. Yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah. and so the fear paralyzes you to a point where you prevent yourself from taking action in the first place at all, mm-hmm. right? Like we're never going to know the outcome unless we give it a try. Right. You know, and then being paralyzed by that fear, especially in transitional parts of our life. Um, I think a lot of people out there listening right now can relate to that for sure. Yeah. So for you, the intention in this one was to face this fear and this innate fear of death, face it, understand it more, hopefully move past it. Um, find some solution or some acceptance and then come back from the journey um, with a, with a new revitalized sense of, you know, purpose, um, mm-hmm. place in the universe, things like that. Um, so tell the audience a little bit about, uh, we talked about the method and the intention. Talk a little bit about um, 
what you brought back. What what sort of things? Sure. Uh, we'll talk about the experience itself first, and then we'll talk about the the lessons that you're starting to bring back. Okay. Um, yeah, it took um, a number of draws before we evaporated enough of the water in order for me to actually start getting the the um, DMT into the vapor phase. Um, once I did, I, I'm not sure, maybe three or four big draws before I went down for the first time. Um, and it was kind of like, it's funny, because it was kind of like I entered this um, beautiful um, psychedelic space, and there were a lot of tunnels and, and a lot of uh, movement. And <clears throat> what it seemed to me is like there, there was certainly an, an otherness, and another entity, set of entities there that I saw, and it looked like movers to me. It looked like they were, they were moving something around, they had somewhere to go. And they kind of like brushed me off of like we don't really have time right now. And for for those of those listeners who don't know what DMT is, um, it's like Scott said, it's a naturally occurring chemical in the brain, and um, oftentimes it's reported that that people who go through these journeys experience other entities, um, similar to UFO or alien abduction type experiences, mm-hmm. little gnomes, little little people little um, turning elves. gears, right? Little elves. Um, or just some other presence of something. So what Scott's talking about here is, is extremely common in these experiences. Um, so sorry to interrupt, but, oh, yeah, but go good. on. So yeah. saw Not totally guys. crazy. Yeah. This is common. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, they were almost like mimes. I, I'd say it was a very um, kind of funhouse type thing. They, they almost seemed, um, you know, and I, I, don't, I couldn't put a finger on except Like, it's not like I could tell you what they looked like, but I kind of got like the vibes of, of kind of a mime. Um, and so I, I sat back up and I was thinking, you know, maybe I just didn't do enough and I should I should try to go a little bit deeper. Um, and so I did, um, took a second round, I think or took two big pulls at that time because um, the, the water had gone, um, kind of coughed the second one up mm-hmm. um, and then went back. And then it was a more of a firm, dud, you're not ready to go deeper right now. You have a lot of work to do outside. You know, there's a lot of external things in your life that you need to work on, like, it's fine that you're here, but so this is the message you received from you, these from these entities. That, yeah, it was it was kind of like, yeah, you're knocking at the door, and like, yeah, you're kind of on the right path, but you're not ready yet. Like, you don't, mm. and it was almost like not necessarily malevolent, but there was kind of like this underlying darkness there that was like, you really don't want to go right. further right now. Like, you really need to wrap up some of the other things that you're doing and like finish some stuff and, and get into a more at least consistent, stable state mm-hmm. before I, I try to go deeper than that level right there. Did the entities have voices or was it more intuitive? It's like more intuitive. Tele- telepathic, yeah. So um, another set of theories around DMT is that when we when we smoke that or if it happens endogenously, that our perceptual um, sensory um, organs allow us to peek into other dimensions that are happening at the same time in the same space right now, right? So so it's well known that, you know, our, our visual spectrum of light that we can see is very small um, mm-hmm. in comparison to the, the entire spectrum, oh, yeah, tiny. right? Teeny tiny. So in that sense, you know, we're only, our, our senses only allow us to perceive this 3D reality, this dimension that everyone knows is common reality. Um, but there are, and it has been sh- shown through through good science that there are other dimensions out there. I think the going number right now is that there's at least eleven other yeah, dimensions like happening simultaneously in the same exact space. You know, there's there's entities and creatures and other life forms that are happening all around us. We're probably breathing them in. We don't see them even on the microscopic level. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's this idea that that when you enter that that space, that DMT space, that you get a little glimpse into that. You get to see these little entities at work um, and you can communicate with them. So um, that telepathic piece is um, usually what's reported, not yeah. actual voices. Um, and that's that's really cool though. You know, I told you this right after the experience when you sat up that I think it, we're seeking progress, right? We're not yeah. seeking perfection. Right. And the fact that you interacted with these these creatures is amazing right so the sheer fact that they understood you you understood them um they knew that you were asking questions they had responses to your questions um the fact that that dialogue is open is pretty pretty big step forward yeah They, Yeah, they, they could be some big allies for you um if when you get ready to take that that journey deeper into that death realm, right? Right. Because you got to explore it. Yeah. And they could be allies 
you know, mm-hmm. um, sort of uh, Jiminy Crickets on your shoulder, sort yeah. of whispering, yeah. you know, helping guide you. Yeah. Because I, I don't believe that most of these entities want to harm us. You know, right. we work in symbiosis. We live in symbiosis with each other. We don't know how we interact or, right. or that relationship, but it's it's there. Yeah. It sure, it sure feels like that. Um, you know, it's interesting. One of the gentlemen at um, the peyote ceremony, um, I remember he had a he had a big experience. Um, I remember he was purging a lot, and he was um, a psychologist. And I remember at the end he was talking about how he felt like he was seeing his ancestors, and he was trying to take a scientific approach to it. And he's like, well, am I seeing my ancestors, or is this some psychological trick? Or is it a chemical thing going yeah, on in the brain? It, yeah, and then he's like, well you know, what, what is, what's the reality of the situation? Because it certainly feels that way. And I would say there's not definitive evidence in either direction. But the, I liked his conclusion because he said he realized it didn't really matter. Right. Because in the end, it was making his life better. And, you know, it's the interpretation of it or how you take and how you change your life with it that really matters. Absolutely. And it's like, to me, you know, I, I feel like I've experienced various deities, especially Hindu deities, in my psychedelic experiences and it's like well that could be kind of like a union archetype thing where it's embedded in the psychology of my mind already mm-hmm. and that the fact that we ever made them into stories and all that stuff is, is part of our collective consciousness mm-hmm. and when i <clears throat> tap into that well am I, is there some ethereal god that's actually interacting with me or is it just part of the human psychology or sure. are those the same thing sure you know and i don't know yeah, um, on some of my journey works, I've asked that question, um, you know, and it's part of the duality question, you know, am right. I, am I, you know, am I separate or am I part of this collective, right? And obviously, you always get the answer that you're part of the collective in yeah. those journeys. Um, but yeah, I've been shown that um, quite often, and the feeling that I get is that, I mean. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to describe. You know, I feel like the example that you brought up of the guy at the ceremony um, taking an analytical approach to these spiritual experiences. um, Science is just not the right tool for measuring that. Right. Yeah. Which is a conundrum for you, especially because you just got your PhD in a science. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Your life is science. And, you know, you have to navigate when you bring these these lessons back, if you're going to integrate them into your daily life, you have to battle with that scientific analytic mind versus the more intuitive heart space or gut space, um, and you know find a balance between those two so that right. one is not overrunning the other in your life. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's big for the integration for you. But yeah, and it's like <clears throat> you know I think um, in a lot of ways most scientists think that um, science and any sort of spirituality or religion are incompatible and i don't think that's necessarily true i think there's a lot of spirituality that can work with and be integrated into science you know i think it would be hard for me to be a creationist and also be a scientist because Mm -hmm. the evidence for evolution is overwhelming Mm -hmm. and it's it's hard to deny that and i you know i'm not going to deny any sort of scientific fact um you know that we have well established um, at least to the degree that it's useful to us, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if you don't believe in electrons, then you should throw your iPhone away. Right. You know, and that should be part of the usefulness of science is that it, it's supposed to adapt as new facts come out. Right. Right. Um, bad science is when people get stuck in their ideologies of old science that has been proven wrong. Right. You know, like people still, you know, uh, Newtonian um, gravitational theory, right, has yeah. been is way outdated you right. know even einstein's theories are a lot outdated but right. you're talking about science and and spirituality i think one of the best books and i mentioned it on the podcast before is called uh, universe in a single atom oh yes by the yeah. dalai lama yeah. and he draws such striking parallels between quantum physics and uh, buddhist philosophy and ideology right um to the point where you know it's it's not that science well science is beginning to prove some of these things that have been believed for thousands of years. And my, my belief is that, you know, these people got these visions from some sort of plant medicine, some sort of, um, you know, in the Himalayas, the psychedelic honeys, Mm -hmm. right. Um, Some sort of ingestion of something or through altered states of consciousness, they've been shown these, these great mysteries. And then only now is science 
which is only a tool, is yeah. starting to catch up, right? right? Science is not supposed to be a religion, but a lot of people treat it that way. Oh, yeah. It's, it's very dogmatic. I mean, so one, one, when I first started journey work, one thing that was hard for me to reconcile is that I very often experienced and um, often envisioned my chakra system and my, you know, a meridian system of energy moving throughout my body. And I, I could see it where, you know, tension in my shoulders or my back was related to different emotional things. And it wasn't entirely physical and that there mm -hmm. was some ethereal element to it, you know? And, and so talking about that with my fellow scientists, they completely would disregard that immediately. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is actually unscientific to disregard something that you can't observe yet. I mean, if, until it's disproven, you don't really know, I mean, it's like if I broke my arm or I have, you it's know. like it's not broken. It, show me the proof. Yeah. Show yeah. me the proof. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and, and I believe in modern science enough to the point where if I hurt, I mean, I buy health insurance, you know, so I believe <laughs> in modern science enough there. And I mean, I got a, from my play, my didgeridoo, I got um, a staph infection on my face one time and yes. I went to the doctor, you know, I didn't go try to get acupuncture to fix a staph infection. <laughs> I got antibiotics. <laughs> so, I mean, but that does not mean that the times when I have gotten acupuncture because I have gotten acupuncture and it has positively affected me. Me too. And, you know, and then I regularly practice yoga and to me there is the physical aspect of it, but there is a whole other internal mental aspect to it that blurs into that kind of ethereal line of, you know, trying to align my, my chakras and my, my meridians in a way such that I'm able to kind of flow a little bit better, you mm -hmm. know, and, and um, give and receive in a way that is optimum. At least I'm a, I'm, I feel like I'm approaching that. I'm trying to, you know, it's kind sure. of one of those things where, you know, a tree grows towards the glory of the sun. Well, is it ever going to reach the sun? Not really, but it's a gloryful tree, you know? Yeah, because it's making the effort to do so. Right. Right. It's not just withering down and giving up. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, to me, like the, I, the human ideal is, is, is a bit like that where you have something beautiful to grow towards and maybe that perfect being that you're aiming towards is not going to be your ultimate manifestation, but that's almost better in a way, because if you're already perfect, you couldn't improve. Sure. You know, so I, I think it's, it's, it's beautiful and fundamental that we are all flawed in some way. And I, that, you know, we, we can be complete, we can be whole. Most of us are not. In that way, I mean, mm -hmm. it takes a lot of work to do that, um, but you can be complete, you can be whole, and you can be fully integrated into your own beauty and the love of, of yourself, you know, and, and that I think is the the perfection of what humanity is moving towards. Sure. So um, for those of you who are, who are listening, um, you guys don't know this about Scott, but he, uh, he had a, a musical group, a band that he was playing with, and big part of his philosophy behind his music was in in recent time anyway was this uh concept of the hero's journey which i brought mm -hmm. up i think i brought it up in a previous podcast but we talk about it quite a bit on here um because it's a it's a good metaphor a good model for journey work for a, a monomyth or a life's journey um and you know this the psychedelic journeys are a journey in and to themselves mm -hmm. um and we have many journeys throughout our life through this one monomyth, right? Yep. Um, so you're talking about reaching this ideal state at the end of our journey, right? That's that's what we're striving for. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and along the way um, of the hero's journey, we have to face challenges. We have to get to our deepest, rudest fears and overcome those. In this case, your fear of death, right, today that we were yeah. working on um, and bringing back tools to, to progress, to evolve as people. So... Scott's been trying to integrate um, the philosophy, James Campbell's philosophy of the hero's journey into his music. Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell, sorry. Um, I misspoke. Um, but yeah, um, can you talk a little bit about that? And, sure. And how, um, how the hero's journey impacts not only your psychedelic journey work, but also your transition through life. Right, yeah. So, um, I mean, I... I'm a big fan of Joseph Campbell um, and his his work with the hero's myth and what he has done to kind of distill the world's myths into that archetypal hero's journey. Um, you know, and he studied cultures from all over the world oh, yeah. across time. Yep, and it's cool how many. I just love listening to his lectures because he'll bring up a, a story from some any continent pretty much and be able to tell you a creation myth that fits in with whatever you're talking about mm -hmm. or or some um, parable and uh, it. 
I always like listening to him. Um, but to me, reality seems to be concentric rings of hero journeys. You know, even just getting out of bed in the morning is the sure. hero journey. You know, my alarm goes <laughs> off and that's the call to action. And <laughs> I have a refusal of the that. call. I put it on snooze, you know, and then like I get out of bed and my dog's right there in the way. He's kind of the gatekeeper, you know, and then you have the bigger ones and even grad school. I mean, right at the end, just getting my for- dissertation formatted um, there, I was telling you earlier, some lady was just holding me back on every level like uh, mm-hmm. that I could and she was kind of like a gatekeeper you know it's the final sure. end of my journey and like I was into the underworld of mm-hmm. you were on the, the road back and- yeah the hell mm-hmm. of grad school and I, at, the, at the very end it's just like three weeks of hell trying to get this thing mm-hmm. done so it's you know but at the same time it's like well I can still appreciate that person and hope the best for them as an individual no matter how much they made my life hell for a little bit because <laughs> it's like well she was just kind of my archetypal gatekeeper there you know and you can't hate him for that you know because ultimately i i got through i'm done with that phase of my life and um you know when i was deciding whether or not i was going to get this bus it was that was a big call to journey for me because you know i was on this linear track Mm -hmm. you know i haven't taken any time off from school since high school you know Mm -hmm. i graduated high school went to undergraduate graduated from undergraduate went to grad school you know and i've just been going 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 and you know so the next logical thing is okay well go get a good postdoc somewhere and, and, and go, you know, be a, become a professor somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, well, I don't know if I want to do that. And then mm-hmm. um, my really good buddy was selling this bus and um, I kind of joked about getting it to go on tour with the band. And then um, he really wanted me to get it. Um, and then I decided I really wanted me to get it, whether or not we we're going to take the band with. Um, but I, I decided that um, that was kind of a, a call to call to the journey for me to, to get this vessel, you know, this bus, um, and live in it and travel once I'm, I was done with grad school, which I'm approaching that time. You know, that's mm-hmm. a big part of my transition is I'm going to be living in the bus full time here. Right. Like two right weeks. after our wedding, right? Is when you when you take off on your yeah, travels? Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm moving into it actually in two weeks. Nice. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be still um, working and living in it. And then um, after, yeah, after around your guys' wedding, that's when I'm going to take off, which will be nice and cool then, which is going to be a little bit better for traveling yeah. than that. Um, and so, I, I, you know, I don't know what to expect. I, I really don't. Um, but I, in some ways, I feel like I need this journey um, in order to have that sort of revelation or the world-redeeming sure. quality of that, of whatever it's going to take, of whatever hardships I'm going to have in there are, I think, necessary for me to kind of remove that ambivalence from, from my life. Because, right. you know, I'm called towards doing a creative path. I'm called towards writing and music. But I'm also called towards doing more science. And so, um, but I, and you know, that's kind of in some ways, today's experience was a microcosm of that because I'm trying to decide on all this stuff and I'm ambivalent, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, to me, I'm reaching this point where I need to not have ambivalence in that decision. And the only way for me to really do that is in some ways to remove myself from it. Right. Remove your, your own emotional attachments to it. Yeah. And just, you know. What it, what is the logical best decision to make for me right now? Right, because it's it's like it's almost like I'm too close to see it. Yeah, totally. It's, it's like I need to be able to step back and really get perspective on all of mm-hmm. it. And psychedelics are a, a great way to do that. You know, mm-hmm. to me, the life is a complementary action, or at least my life along the healing journey is a complementary action of going into those states, have receiving insight from that, and then also simultaneously trying to integrate that and then move away in whatever way in my life that I can, you know, a regular yoga practice helps because that's a chance to sit down and just shut up for a little bit and do something with your body, you know, right. and, and, and focus your mind and you don't have to worry about anything. You're, you're just in it. Yeah. And, you know, and that, a moment. Yeah. And I mean, actually, it's funny. One of the things that got me through the last few weeks of grad school was um, learning to do handstands. Nice. So I've been close to it for a few years, but like there's the, the level of stress that I had was so high that I could not stand to be in my office. So I had to leave and I would just go find the nearest grass field and take off everything but my shorts, which I probably look like a complete idiot. But um, I just needed uh, something that was challenging enough to take my mind off of it. But I didn't usually have enough time to actually go to a studio to do yoga mm-hmm. or anything like that. And it just felt like now was the time to do handstands. And so I just kept it. I just went out every day when I was too stressed out, would just sit, sit in the field and just do handstands fall over a bunch of times, fall on my back, you know, not mm-hmm. a big deal because I'm in the grass and then 
By the end of it, now I can do a handstand. Nice. So in some sense, that that lady gatekeeper actually is the one who taught me to do a handstand. <laughs> yeah. So um, I want to get to her in a in a second because sure. I have a, an opinion on her, and I don't even know her. But um, in relation to your own hero's journey, but um, you talked about you know taking this journey in the bus, mm-hmm. and whenever you talk to me about this journey in the bus, what comes to my mind is a rite of passage. Right. Yeah. Something that I feel is missing a lot in our culture, at least uh, for our youth, is this, you know, a rite of passage in our culture. It's, you know, getting eight, getting your driver's license, becoming 18 to buy tobacco, 21 to buy alcohol, 25 yeah. to rent a car. Right. These are not there's no challenge in that. Right. right? And the Just history, happens. the history of rite of passage requirement requires you to face a challenge and mm-hmm. come back from it, right? So there's the walkabout in Australia, yeah, right? That's exactly or a uh, rite of passage for, um, you know, um, shamanic journeying with the Native mm-hmm. Americans, just going up and sitting in one spot for a week. Yeah. Um, you know, and so this bus journey for you is like a rite of passage. This is your, you know, you anticipate challenges, but you also anticipate having the strength and courage to be able to overcome them and come back a completely different person. Right. So I thought that was really cool. Um, but this lady, so I have an opinion on her. <laughs> sure. Um, with, as far as the hero's journey goes, um, you mentioned her as a gatekeeper, but um, you know, I, I believe that people that get in our way or challenges that come into our journey and disrupt it, that those are the biggest teachers for us, right? right. And so um, there's this quote I heard a little while ago, and I don't remember who it is, so um, but uh, so it's not my quote, but it goes, um, what stands in the way becomes the way, mm. right? Yeah. And so for you in this micro hero's journey through your dissertation, um, she was in the way, yeah, literally like pre- preventing your progress. Yeah. So dealing with her became the way it became the, the growth spot for you, the opportunity for growth, the opportunity for learning, um, and from that experience, you probably gained more patience, um, probably more tact, the yeah. ability to email contact with her because she, you know, she's holding holding up your dissertation. So you gained some things, even though she at the time she seemed like a burden or an obstacle or an opponent. She became a teacher in a way. Yeah. And you know, this goes back to part of the hero's journey. Um, at the beginning of the journey is finding a mentor. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important and also lacking in our culture, not enough male role models, um, you know, deadbeat dads, you know, not, not taking care of their kids. My own dad, you know, abandoned me at one and a half. And, um, so we don't have these male role models in our life and finding a mentor to help guide you on this journey, or at least give you little hints, little tricks, little bits of wisdom to help you is so essential because this is uncharted territory that yeah. you're journeying into, right? Mm-hmm. You have to have somebody who's done it before or has some knowledge about it to give you a, a leg up, right? right? Or else you're just going to be lost on your journey. Yeah. So this idea of the teacher, I think uh, I've been thinking about it a lot this last week. And you mentioned something too. I, I want you to share with the audience sort of the synchronicity with, with the teacher, but um, it's really been on my mind and really keeping my eyes open for who, who are my teachers and really everybody in my life as a teacher, right. you know, the, the grocery store clerk who has a bad attitude with me today, that's a teacher for me because she tested my patience right. and it was a test. That's what it was. I had the choice to, you know, have an outburst or work on my compassion. Yeah. Cause it's like one of those things where, you know, Krishna comes to you in whatever way. So it's like, you send that person there for you to test yourself. Exactly. You know, it's like, we're all one from the un- depths of the unconscious. You said that person there to, to test you. To you test know? me. It's like, mm-hmm. And, then you... and in Buddhist philosophy, they would say that while you're in the bardo or the in-between your lives, you actually get to choose the circumstances of, of your future life. So you get to set up exactly who shows up in your life, when they show up, because what lesson they have to teach you at that point and that time. Mm-hmm. And then upon birth, all of that is forgotten, obviously. Yeah. That's why we can't remember. But um, that's the idea that you know our life is is we've, we've created it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've allowed ourselves some, some range of, of choice yeah. in there to affect, um, the journey positively or negatively. Um, what are, what are your thoughts on that rite of passage for you and for, for, yeah. Yeah. I, I think a rite of passage is a good way to, to describe it. Um, cause that is definitely something we miss in our culture, in our society. And, you know, that's something where, 
Um, and so many people seem lost yeah, because right. of it. Right? Yeah, it's like uh, they don't even know who they are. Yeah, everything's just cushy. You know, everybody has their plush life and they're 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 set into everything and everything's so easy and at hand and and, and yet people are so unsatisfied. You know, and people would even say, and people, I'm sorry to play devil's advocate, but people in poverty may say like, "Oh, I'm not living a plush life, right?" Right. But the life you're living now, even in poverty, compared to how life was a hundred years ago, you're living a plush life, right? right. Um, there's there's a gradient there, right? The, yeah, there certainly is. Um, this rite of passage, man. Yeah, and it's like, you know, you look at so many cultures that have had shamanic rites of passage, and to me, that's something that should certainly be reintegrated into society. And, and, you know, that's something where if I ever have kids, that would be something that I would encourage them to do, you know, mm -hmm. as vision as, quest or something. Right? Yeah. You know, where, where it's like, you know, how do you find out who you are? You know, it's like in some ways I found out who I am by, by enacting different roles that I'm not and being like, you know, playing along with the social game and just taking, you know, learning the hard way of and finding it out that you're miserable because you're doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, that's not who I am, you know, like playing into the social games of whatever, you know, um, stuff that there happens to be there. I mean, in, in a um, scientific community, you see a lot of um, insecurity manifesting itself in a sort of um, cocker, cockery like shit show of just like people trying to one up each other on whatever small level. And I mean, I've, I definitely found myself doing that at points in, in graduate school. Do you find you, you feel that that's throughout the scientific community? Um, Cause I'm not really part of that yet. Yeah. Um, Cause I want to pursue a PhD too. So I'm, I'm, I've been out of that realm for a little while. Um, but I didn't get to see it as much in my master's program. Uh, right. The one uppery. Um, I would, I'm sure it's dependent on fields. I would guess my intuition would be that if you went to a biology lab where they were studying small mammals, it wouldn't be like that because mm -hmm. they're all animal lov lovers and that's kind of the temperament of that. Okay. But when, to me, when it's something like the hard sciences, mm -hmm. um, like, like chemistry or physics or math, I, I see a lot of that there where it's like, because it is gnarly and you know, a lot of it is very difficult. Um, and I think a lot of you know, but it's not fundamentally related to the, the science itself. It's fundamentally, fundamentally related to a, an individual self-confidence and the institutional confidence that is put into the individuals. Mm -hmm. And that's I, the politics behind it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'd say the experience I have is definitely not the worst, you know, and I, I know that there's worse, you know, you've heard other horror stories mm -hmm. of, of how bad it can be. So, I mean, mine wasn't honestly that bad, but it's there, you know, mm -hmm. it's there. And I think it's there to some degree, um, in probably most careers and probably most work environments too. Um, it's just, um, to what degree is it there mm -hmm. and to what degree do we play into that? You know, um, because in, in some sense there is a time to flex your muscles a little bit and, and show your knowledge. It's just the goal of it, you know, mm -hmm. like, and to me, and I see that a lot with, um, with drunk people, actually, when, when drunk <laughs> people argue, it's, it's hilarious because I, I found that. I could probably, I've, I've seen two people arguing where I feel like I could have convinced it could have, they could have been arguing on either sides of it, but really the fundamental thing is what they want to do is to argue and have this kind of ego battle. Mm -hmm. And you see these things and it's like, the points don't really matter. And they're trying to convince the other one because they want to win. And yeah, but that's it. They yeah, just want to win. It. Yeah. They don't want to learn more and understand and I, and I think that that's their, there's a fuzzy line between those points, but there is a definite um, polarity there between having a discussion. So in my lab, we have discussions a lot that get pretty heated um, and they're usually not ego driven and they'll get heated because we're, you know, we're trying to figure out the truth mm -hmm. and, and sometimes the truth is evasive. It often is evasive. Um, and so, you know, you have those discussions sometimes and you can have those altercations where you ask yourself, you know, and I'm upon reflection, you know, it's like, am I trying to win this argument or am I trying to learn more? Am mm -hmm. I trying to understand more? Because mm -hmm. uh, i found for the most part, most humans are wrong about most things. Yeah. You know, and including myself, I include myself in that because I don't know how many times I have just been totally wrong about certain things. And it's, you know, or there've been a lot of times where I have felt one way about something, particularly politically, you know, cause I'm not a political scientist. I'm not, you know, I, I listen to the news and I try to do as much research as I can the recent one thing I've been doing is I've been listening to a lot of political debates mm -hmm. that are with intelligent people 
um, that are not really trying to one up each other. I, I try to find that as much as I can. And what I, what I found is if I listen to intelligent people debate, I am less firm on my stance on any sort of political issue. Because mm-hmm. um, they have some good points. Yeah. And you, mm-hmm. you start to see the other side. And, you know, it's that conversation between the right and the left mm-hmm. that I think is, is so important that, that we're missing, you know, or we're starting to lose. Yeah. So you, you first started off talking about drunk people, right? And right. Then, and then got into politics and debates there. Um, but there's parallels between all of that in that when we're arguing, it seems like we're, we are coming from a place of emotion, right? right? Our emotions have taken over and now we're arguing because we don't feel secure in our belief or we don't feel we're angry because we believe the other person's wrong, right? So it's out of emotion purely. Right. And that gets us into a lot of trouble, right? When we right. act out of emotion. So when you see these intelligent people who can sort of not squash their emotion, but maybe put it on the shelf until after the debate and come from a purely rational stance, mm-hmm. um, that there's a lot more learning in there. Right. Um, there's a, there's a lot more solution in there, right. right. When we don't come from emotion. Now emotion is, is important, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's an evolutionary um, thing that we developed uh, mostly for survival, uh, but also for connection. Um, so it's, it's essential that we don't deny our emotions right. and suppress them, right? right? But we also can't allow them to rule our lives, right. to rule our interactions, to rule our work life or whatever, because, you know, most of the time when we act out of emotion, things don't turn out well. We're, right. we're cleaning up some mess afterwards. Yeah, because it's uh, this kind of chaotic energy right. That, you know, um, I've been listening to a lot of Jordan Peterson recently, mm-hmm. too, and um, he always talks about, you know, the interplay between structure and chaos in your life, mm-hmm. you know, and to me, I mean, going into a bus, well, that's structured, but, you know, taking all these other other life risks, um, that's the chaos. To me, the, the structure is, at least for me, is internal. This internal sense of self of who I am, you know, that's your of, compass. That you're yeah, yeah, and it's the like, foundation or the or the, the framework. Yeah, of who you are, or almost like a surfboard. To me, it almost like it's starting mm. to feel like the my sense of self and who I am and my self confidence in my compassion and empathy towards other people is is starting to become this um, this surfboard. And when these waves of chaos of unpredictability come of at life. me. It's almost, yeah, the waves of life are coming at you. You're like, you know, you're like, okay, well, maybe I'm just going to dip under this one and try and go, or maybe I'm going to start paddling. I'm going to, I'm going to ride, ride this, this one. Yeah. I'm like, like, this looks intense. Like this is gnarly right now, but okay, well I'm, I'm getting on it. Like I'm going to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, and that's to me, that's the interplay of structure and chaos. Cause you have to welcome in the chaos. Cause if you don't, you just, you just get battered by it. You know, yeah. if you're just hanging just out the in the shallows, just letting the waves hit you, I mean, it's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. It's a bad day at the beach. Yeah, exactly. Compared to one where you take a little bit of risk and the benefit is so much greater. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, so it, there's a time and a place for emotion, but there's also a time and a place for rational thought too. Right. You know, different aspects of mind. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's that, it's that interplay, you know, you, you lean a little to the right, you lean a little left, you know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like the, the motion of the, of the snake a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. you, you have to have a, a play of both and that, you know, to me, uh, my life has, has been much more chaotic than it has been structured, you know. Um, I've already told you the story about when I biked to a music festival. No. Um, so um, there's this music festival. is about 20 miles from my house. And I had just met one of my roommates, and he had just moved um, into our house. And I convinced him that if we biked this music festival without tickets, we'd get in. <laughs> and so – and this was like my summer of discovering chaos. I had um, just found this book called um, – the turbulent mirror and it was um the science of wholeness but it was basically a uh, layman's introduction to chaos theory mm-hmm, i and, love chaos theory and um and um fractal geometry as well i love that too um, <laughs> I, I ended up i ended up taking a, a physics yeah. course a graduate level physics course on chaos and fractals it was uh, it was extremely difficult the pro- have I, I shown you my chess piece i'll have to show you afterwards no. okay yeah, well, yeah we'll all sorts of fractal stuff on it cool yeah, it's cool so I convinced my roommate, I'm like, we're going to bike to this music festival. We don't have tickets. We don't have enough money to buy tickets, but we're going to bike 20 miles there. Uh, we didn't take the shortest route. We took a, a hilly route. Um, it was a rise down in Loveland. Mm-hmm. And we went up past Masonville. You know, we could have just gone to Loveland mm-hmm. and just gone over. But we went up through Masonville. I don't know why. 
Um, but as we were pulling up, I start, that's when I started to get the doubt, right? Like after we biked there, that's when I get the doubt. I'm like, shit, I actually don't know how we're going to get in because they had fences and stuff. And it was the first year that they were doing it. Um, and I bike up to this guy and he's got a tattoo of the Mandelbrot set on the back of his mm-hmm. arm, which is one of the most famous fractals. Um, there you go. Yeah, right in the there. Of my chest, there you go. Um, and um, I just, I pull up to him. I started talking to him about fractals. Um, and, and, and chaos and stuff like that. And as we're talking to him, my buddy bikes up next to me and as we're talking to him, he's just, we just casually walk in through the VIP entrance because we were with one of the volunteers mm-hmm. I and mean, he's one of the volunteers and the other volunteers saw him with us. And when we didn't really look that out of place, so they, we got in the festival because we met that guy. Nice. And then it struck me later after I took the acid that if I had, if we had done anything differently, we left earlier, later, mm-hmm. stayed, done anything different at all, I would not have ran into that guy at that exact time. Right. And I don't know how we would have gotten in. And to me, that was like the the solidification or one of the first, kind of the first base layer of like, you know, if you trust in it, if, if you're feeling it enough and you go for it, it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. It might not work out in the way that you think it is. Yeah, that's the piece that people get lost in is the attachment to how it's going to happen, right? right. So we, we can keep an outcome that we want in our mind, but don't be attached to how it's going to happen. Right. Just have faith or, or just confidence that it's going to happen Yeah. regardless, as long as you maintain that, that dream. Right. Right. Yeah. And I've, I've had to deal with that a lot in my journey to try and get into PhD programs because I wanted to go straight from master's to PhD. And I applied for five years and got denied every year. Um, that's not the journey that I yeah. that I had anticipated. Right? right. But I had to be flexible as long as I kept that dream alive in my head and the outcome for where I wanted. I needed to learn flexibility and how that's going to show up, how that's going to manifest in my life. And then be open to those opportunities and jump on them when they come. Right. Yeah. Like it's almost like, um, you know, I've been the same way about other journeys. Like, well, for example, peyote or ayahuasca, Mm -hmm. I still have not yet done ayahuasca, but I've been wanting to do those for at least 10 years. Mm -hmm. You know, it's been one of those things where I've been wanting, I've been wanting it. you know, I don't have enough money to like go to Peru or something like that. So, um, it's just been one of those things that's kind of been lingering in my mind and then all of a sudden I got invited to do the peyote ceremony. It was like, yes, you just, you know, you have to be ready for it and wanting it and you have to be patient enough to continue waiting for it. But then when it's there, you, you got to go. It comes to you. Yeah. And it's like, that was one of the, that was definitely one of the more um, enriching experiences of my life was that yeah. peyote ceremony. The one we shared? Yeah. Yeah. The medicines do come to you when you need them. Right. So mm-hmm. many times in my, um, in my life, I've wanted to dabble in different psychedelics that maybe I haven't tried yet. And I'd be like, Oh, I really want to get my hands on some of this. Right. Yeah. But as long as I'm attached to, I need to find this thing. Right. I can't find it. Right. But then I give up on it and I'm like, Oh, whatever. I'll forget about it. And then when I'm ready for it, it will come to me. It'll, some friend will come over and be like, Hey, we got this, you know, this shaman is coming up uh, you know, in two weeks, can you make it? I'm like, Hell yeah. 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 Like, okay. I accept the call, you know, and yeah. I'm, I'm trying to do that too. More in my journeys is accepting the call, um, before the refusal, mm-hmm. um, just being more of a yes man in yeah. my life and, and opening to that too. Um, which I think your journey in the, in the bus is going to be months of that, of yeah. saying yes, just every stop that you're at, you know, meeting new people and they're like, Hey, you want to come over for dinner? We'll feed you. Yes. Yes. Yeah, sure. Hey, do you want to come on this hike? Yes, I'll do it. You yeah. know, and it's going to be amazing for you. Um, the rite of passage. I wish we had that in our culture. I know that I've gone through my own rites of passage and right. a lot of my, but I've done it intentionally because I know how important it is. So I put myself in those right. rites of passage experiences. Um, a lot of my psychedelic adventures are rites of passage experiences because we're faced with our own mortality and death, like literal ego death, you know, yeah. literally feeling oh, yeah. like you're dying. And um, those are few and far between in my experiences, but when they happen, um, they're huge growth spurts right. in my spirituality and my sense of self and my sense of connectedness. And um, it's just pretty amazing. So um, just real quick, we only have about five minutes left, but um, I wanted you to touch a little bit on this aspect of the teacher sure. and, and tell the audience of this little synchronicity that happened. Oh, so yeah. Scott and I hadn't discussed this idea of the teacher before the podcast today, and I brought it up to him beforehand, and I'll just let him share sort of how it showed up in his life and paying attention to that. Sure. Um, 
Well, um, I guess it goes back to a couple years ago. Um, one of my friends, um, I had never done tarot cards before. One of my friends um, did tarot cards with me when I was going through a really hard time. And um, it really actually fit to where my life was at at that time. And, um, you know, and that's kind of one of those things where my scientific mind wants to deny right. that pure, pure randomness. And um, you have to believe. Yeah. And I'm I kind of am like letting that in a little bit, be like, okay, well, you know, I'm just going to take it for what it is and whatever interpretation I may have might be useful. So I'll just go along with it. Um, and so um, what happened recently, oh, my friend who actually um, did that tarot card reading with me, she ended up giving me her tarot cards when she moved to Portland. Um, and um, so I have those and I have, I've had those in my room and I, I do drawings once in a while. Um, and it's funny because I found when I intentionally do a drawing, it seems less fitting like if mm -hmm. I, if I go out of my way towards it, it's almost like I'm grabbing at it. It doesn't work out. Yeah. And, and it, it kind of makes sense. Like I, I can kind of make it make sense. Um, but so, so that with that, you know, my science mind being like, nah, don't worry about that. So I kind of stopped doing it. I just left them on my shelf. And then every once in a while I'll find a tarot card mm -hmm. in my room somewhere. Mm -hmm. all, the, all of them will be stacked together and there'll be one in a different place. And earlier this week, I don't know what I picked up, but the teacher card mm -hmm. was the card that was, you know, next, you mm -hmm. know, and I was like, okay, well, I'm not, you know, and then what I do is when that happens, I swap out the last card I got. And then I usually like, we'll use that as a bookmark and I'll sure. kind of keep that there. It's a reminder. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and, and grew on that a little bit and see, you know, okay, what well, is, who is my teacher? Am I the teacher? You know, what is, what is the teacher? What is the archetypal teacher? You know? Mm -hmm. Because it just gets you to start questioning and using the card as a bookmark is a good physical reminder of to be mindful, to, to watch out for the teacher, not watch out like in a danger sense, but keep your eyes open because right. everybody's a teacher. Right. You know, and, and we can't get stuck in this mindset that we know everything. Okay. Right. The wisest man knows that he knows very little. Right. You yes, know, absolutely. one thing in jujitsu, you know, when you get a black belt, black belts don't think that they know everything they're like okay the journey is beginning again now yeah you know i know nothing right you get black belt and you realize just how vast jujitsu is and that you know nothing right and that is is a true wise mindset um to approach this this teacher and the seeking of the teacher so um just real quick what are some what are some of the teachers in your life um, currently that that you're trying to embody um Currently, one of them is my dog, <laughs> for Absolutely. sure. I mean, he um, he is able to be in the moment at all times, mm -hmm. and um, you know, his I can read his emotions so clearly, and he he makes no falsities, mm -hmm. you know, and um, he's always um, he's always ready for an adventure. He's the yes man that I want to be in mm -hmm. a sense of like, you know, I'm getting ready to go in the morning, and he wants to go with me. He doesn't care where I'm going. He just wants to go with, mm -hmm. and it because he knows who he wants to be with, right? You know, and that's kind of, in a, in a sense, he's one of my teachers. Um, a lot of really good friends have been teachers recently. Um, it's funny because sometimes you see the teacher in a way in another of you know actually, and I guess this kind of relates in a in a better way in that a lot of times when I'm giving someone else advice. You're teaching yourself. I realize I'm giving myself advice. I wanted to make sure that we touched on that real quick, that we have that ability to be, you know, a self, self teacher, self healer, right. you know, um, and that's so important. That's a piece of, of, uh, humanity that I think a lot of us are denying right. that we have to seek help from outside ourselves to fix what's inside of ourselves when the solution is always there inside of us. Right. If we have the courage enough to step through that fear and, and get that elixir, right? right? And bring it back. Yep. And fear is a guarantee. Challenge is a guarantee. Oh, yeah. Everyone has to go through that. So there's no escaping that. Right. So that's part of the courage is knowing that you're going to be afraid, knowing that it's going to be hard. Right. But also knowing that the benefits coming out the other side are much better than if you never took the journey in the first place yep. out of fear. Yep. Absolutely. Right? Um, well, I want to, I want to thank you, Scott, for being on, yeah, on my podcast Thanks, today. Man. It was an awesome conversation. Um, we'll have you back in the future. Um, and I just want to remind our audience that they can reach out to us either through the podcast um, app, I believe, has, has a place that you can comment. Or you can always find us at mindops.com. That's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com. Um, again, we're a, 
a private practice uh, counseling and consulting um, company. So um, hit us up. And if you like our podcast, please like and share. That's how the word gets out. Um, thank you to all of those of, of you who have listened already and um, much more good stuff to come in the future. Thanks again, Scott, for coming. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it.